Okay. Uh, so thank you, Andrew, for bringing uh, Andrew, uh, David to my attention. And how do you guys know each other? Well, uh, hey everyone, it's good to it's good to see you all again. Uh, everyone's in for a real a real treat uh, today. I uh, met David uh, formally uh, in over over the uh, screen uh, probably a year and a half ago, or maybe a little bit longer than that. I'm not very good with time. Uh, through a mutual friend that we have uh, named, named Dorothy Rowan. Uh, David and I both have a similar interest in uh, describing uh, higher stages of uh, development in conscious awareness and beyond. And uh, so, <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, and through, that, uh, through that connection, we, uh, and, and other unseen connections, we sort of came together and uh, have been uh, having regular uh, recorded talks on, on this subject matter. David is uh, someone I would consider a friend uh, these days, and he's also uh, well-respected in the spiritual community. He's been uh, a practitioner of uh, the tradition or the tradition from which yoga has sprung, and he's actually a, a yoga practitioner in the truest sense of the term. Uh, for over 45 years, and he has a master's degree in Vedic science and is extremely knowledgeable uh, in these subjects on an experiential level. So he has actually uh, realized uh, the truths that were being written in many scriptures and uh, is working uh, to, to bring those to light in modern day language through his blog. He has a wonderful book called Our Natural Potential. And uh, he is, uh, he's an amazing being. So it's, uh, it's, and of course, he'll, he'll be the first one to tell you that it's not him, uh, that uh, it's through him getting out of the way, that uh, all of this is able to take place. And that is, of course, true, as you guys are learning through this course. Uh, so I just, uh, it's my honor and privilege to introduce him. And I look forward to hearing what he has to say on the, the Yoga Sutras. Well, thank you, Andrew. I appreciate the introduction. Yeah. Uh, as you mentioned, I've been studying this for a, a long time, and um, both in a theoretical way, but also in a practical way. Um, I learned meditation, I think, in 1974, and uh, and so forth. Yoga is, is fundamentally um, the foundation of spiritual unfolding and enlightenment. That's, that's its subject matter. It's considered one of the six primary systems of Indian philosophy uh, from the Vedic tradition that, that uh, Andrew mentioned. Uh, it's also, the, the six systems are also known as the darshanas or the upangas. Uh, this is in your uh, handout, uh, some of the main points. Uh, Vedanta is another one of the, of the darshanas. Um, it's also useful to understand the context in which uh, yoga comes to us. Um, the Yoga Sutra, the Indian philosophy was, was an oral tradition for a very long time before uh, it became written down. And most historians uh, date uh, these texts when they were written down, uh, not when they originated. But in the tradition, uh, yoga comes from what's known as the Treta Yuga or the Silver Age. Um, the basic idea in 
the Vedas is that uh, consciousness moves in these large cycles of time of rising and, and, and falling consciousness. We're currently in a rising age, but the Yoga Sutra uh, was was drafted in a in a beginning of the falling age as we, as they were leaving um, the golden age and um, needed to try to sustain the collective consciousness so that that uh, a lot of the features are lost. So you'll find in the text um, that there's references to things like special abilities and the way it describes. Um, uh, awakening uh, in a somewhat different way than it's usually experienced in the current time. Uh, I shared uh, a draft version of the, the, the text I work with. I quote from the Yoga Sutra fairly regularly in my writing, and so it became much easier just to have uh, something I can cut and paste from. And I've been polishing it over time as I've, I've uh, worked, with, worked with it and studied it further. The text itself is not long. It's four short books or, or gatherings of you know 30 or 40 uh, sentences, sutras they're called. So the sutras are kind of like these core thoughts. Uh, and so I'll talk about the main points from each book and um, some of the key ways in which it uh, sometimes differs from, uh, I think one of the understanding, there's misunderstandings in the, in the, uh, in the current time. So the first book, uh, this, the topic is Samadhi, which is another word for transcendence. Um, this is a reference to uh, a fourth state of consciousness, along with waking, dreaming, and sleeping. In the Upanishads, they call this Turiya, literally meaning the fourth. Uh, it's a state of restful alertness, where we're alert, uh, uh, and yet the body is in a state of deep rest, uh, in, in the scientific research that's been found to be twice as deep as deep sleep. Uh, but we probably, before we get too far along into that, uh, we should define yoga itself. Uh, when when you, I use the word yoga, usually you probably think about somebody doing stretching exercises. Uh, but actually yoga, define, the Yoga Sutra defines its yoga as the complete settling of the activity of the mind. Then the observer is established in their own nature. In other words, when we're able to settle the mind and all the noise and babbly uh, stuff going on in our head, then we become aware of our own nature as the observer, as consciousness itself. This uh, state of experience is known as samadhi, the, the name of the book. And samadhi is, is a compound word. Sama means evenness and D means intellect. So it's evenness of intellect. When the mind becomes settled, so when, we're, when we're ego associated as most people are, um, the intellect associates with, with the mind and the mind gets tossed around by various emotions and experiences and so on like that. And the, the intellect gets tossed around with it. But when we're able to settle the mind, the intellect also becomes settled or, or even. So hence Samadhi. Samadhi itself is thought to be rare, uh, but it turns out that the right technique brings it regularly. Um, and the, the key there with Samadhi is effortless. Uh, when you're trying to control the mind with the mind, you're kind of on a bit of a fool's errand because it, it's the, you can't really control the mind for itself. The mind inherently, when it's identified with the ego, it inherently wants to control. That's how it feels it's, it's safe and, and it can 
it can manage life and so on like that when it feels like it's in control. And so it, trying to control the controller is <laughs> kind of a, 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 an error. Whereas if you, if you take on a, a, an effortless meditation practice, then the body automatically settles, as I mentioned, twice as deep as deep sleep. Uh, the body is able to purify and, and because of that deep restful state and, um, and settle. Many of the, the experiences we've had that have been unresolved are able to clear and uh, we're in the mind quietens and we reach that state of samadhi, or state of yoga, inner union. Uh, they've done various tests with people uh, in meditation practice, and they found that the brain, the EEG brain coherence, or rather, the brain EEG becomes coherent. All the, the various parts of the brain begin working together in, in synchrony. They're not all functioning separately in a normal way, but begin functioning together. And they discovered this is also a feature of high-performing uh, athletes, musicians, and uh, business people. So it's actually culturing uh, a higher performance ability in the mind. The book itself uh, describes levels of samadhi from having, having that settling with some mental babble down and into quieter levels where there's no content and then quieter levels where there's a, a seed of impulse to have thoughts arise and, and that's purified and so on, right down into what's the um, nirbija or the seedless uh, seedless state and when that pur the purification settles and we're in that very deep step state it can become so deep that the breath itself stops the body is so settled that there's no need to be breathing in and out the, the lungs shift into a kind of a fine vibration um, and just just enough to to uh, bring a bit of oxygen and, and as that becomes really established, and we have a number of, of experiences of, of uh, samadhi, it cultures it in the physiology. So the body is able to sustain that uh, even outside of meditation. And where then we begin to be able to have thoughts without disturbing that silent awareness. In other words, we can have samadhi along with our day-to-day -day experience. It begins to become blended. There's a few quotes from this book I, I wanted to highlight too, from like verse 32. It says, obstacles can be removed by repeated experience of the one reality. In other words, when we go in and we taste that inner sense of self, that, that uh, expanded um, uh, consciousness we have within ourselves, it, we purify the obstacles that are existing in our mind, emotions, and physiology. Another interesting quote, verse 16 um, it says avert the danger which has not yet come um, and from the yoga perspective danger arises from those uh, impurities in our system and the uneven intellect um, and so then what happens is we make mistakes based on our, our uh, past uh, in, uh, impressions and uh, the shadows of those unresolved experiences um, another thing that can happen as samadhi is cultured was we begin to have episodes of witnessing. Uh, this is when, when there's a sense of being uh, consciousness itself, being a detached observer. And it's kind of like we're sitting back here watching our body and our, our body work and our mind think and, and so on like that. 
And we, then we can recognize from that experience that we're not actually the ego. We're not actually this individual person. We are that larger consciousness. And this is most obvious in deep sleep because we, there's a sense of witnessing even when the body is asleep. We notice the body go to sleep, <clears throat> but, the, um, but the awareness is maintained. Now, of course, if the body is in deep sleep, the senses go to sleep as well. So we're not sensing anything. We're simply there in consciousness, kind of like a long meditation. When they've done studies of people who are witnessing sleep, they find that there's that the alpha EEG of alertness is overlaid on the delta of deep sleep. Um, another quote is verse 38, or 48 rather, is uh, there resides the intellect that knows only truth. Again, that quality of, of uh, stable intellect um, that's able to discriminate clearly that it knows the truth of, of whatever circumstances are arising. It's not distracted by our unresolved baggage. The second book is called Asadhana, or basically meaning practice as in the practice of meditation or, or uh, asana, postures, and so on like that. But there's a really important uh, caveat to make about this text, and that is it's not describing techniques. In the Vedic tradition, techniques are always taught directly. There are experiential techniques, and so it's really important to be guided through your experience so you understand correct practice, like I mentioned effortless before, so that you're not... Um, trying to control your experience or, or get in the way of it in some way. The ego is a little troublesome that way. <laughs> it gets involved. The text is essentially describing the results and the benefits of samadhi, of yoga. And as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, what you'll notice in most yoga studios is uh, a form of exercise rather than uh, what I'm talking about and how Yoga Sutra defines yoga. The second book talks about what's known as Ashtanga, which means the eight limbs. And then it lists um, the eight limbs, um, as the first two have um, sub-limbs, you could say, um, observances and so on. But again, um, these are often uh, taken to be practices. Uh, so uh, it, people will, will see the, them and, and think that they have to practice being content or or happy and in, in which case that then that, that that readies them in order to do uh yoga postures and eventually get the samadhi so in other words they're, they're seeing the limbs as steps on a ladder that you you follow progressively and you you develop over time but actually you know if you think of of the limbs are like uh, a table leg you know, you grab a table leg and you pull it, the whole table comes along with everything else. And as we saw in the first book, samadhi is, is, is the key thing to understand about the Yoga Sutras. This is all about samadhi. And if you culture samadhi, then it brings everything else along. The, um, the last four of the, of the limbs are essentially all about meditation, not separate practices, but uh, the, the process and effect of meditation the retirement, the steadiness, the, the uh, developing focus, and the transcendence or samadhi. 
and then in traditional practices, uh, generally speaking, it's, it's advised you do some yoga postures and then some uh, breathing exercises uh, as a preparation for the meditation. So in that sense, there's a bit of a sequence, but it's not as steps on a ladder. Um, and, you know, so I men it mentioned in the first verse that the intellect knows only truth. So that will clearly culture uh, one of the observances, truthfulness. Whereas um, if you try and, and fake truthfulness, you know, it's kind of like the mind trying to manipulate the experience. <clears throat> Just going over my notes here a little, make sure I'm covering these points. Yeah, so again, it's, it's, it's describing the results and, and the process, but not defining the practice itself. Quite often when you, uh, uh, if you learn um, meditation from a traditional, not traditional is the wrong word, a more recent yoga teacher, a common yoga teacher, they'll often direct you uh, into a concentration type technique where you try to control the mind. You try and stop the thoughts. You try and um, manipulate the experience. But the key, as we've noted, is samadhi, is transcending the mind, not making it stronger. Now, the focus and concentration can certainly develop that skill. But if the goal of yoga, if the goal is yoga, then it's going beyond that to make it stronger. It's relaxing those re resistance restrictions, not increasing them. And, uh, and indeed, if, with an effortless practice, this cultures that um, state of samadhi and becomes a very regular thing in every meditation in degrees of clarity and, and uh, sometimes clear and sometimes not so much, but the practice itself cultures it. And, and then as a result, it cultures all these other aspects. Another one uh, that's quite widely uh, practiced in spiritual circles is practicing detachment. But detachment is an effect when we drop our identification with being this me person. Uh, and that results from recognizing our deeper nature as consciousness. And that results from samadhi. So it's a, uh, and it's the same with renunciation. Um, renunciation is a really common practice in, in India. It's kind of, uh, there was a time when renunciation and, and uh, the practice of, of uh, becoming a monk, what basically died out in India. And this famous saint Shank, the sage Shankara came along and uh, revived the, the renunciate tradition. But renunciation is, is uh, being a, becoming a monk is, is something for a very small minority of the population. It's not really, most of us are, are what are known as householders. We're, we're here to uh, have, a, have, have work and uh, get married and have a family and do all those sorts of things that most of us do. And letting go of personal control is really important, but we don't do that with the thing that is doing the controlling. <laughs> it's, it's through the, it's going to beyond the source of, the, of that control into our deeper nature. And then the, uh, the ego trying to control it will let go automatically because then it, the ego has the confidence in, in that uh, deeper nature. It's also the same, the same with equanimity. A number of spiritual groups um, recommend you practice equanimity. Um, and yet, if there, 
we're still identified with the mind. We're still going to be pulled around by various emotions and experiences coming up and our equanimity is going to be disturbed. But if we culture that deep inner peace of infinite consciousness, then equanimity develops automatically as part of this process. So it's kind of like flipping a little bit compared to how it's often taught, but it's uh, much more effective this way. Uh, one of the one of the niyamas, one of the in the uh, limbs of yoga, is brahmacharya. Brahmacharya means student of Brahman, or student of the source beyond consciousness. That's a little more advanced, but um, but so often brahmacharya is translated as celibacy. And that kind of reinforces this idea that you're supposed to be a monk and renounce the world and so on like that to make spiritual progress. But the idea here is more about balance. By having a meditation practice, adding a meditation practice into our life uh, and adding that samadhi, we're able to culture these qualities and develop our uh, spiritually without leaving the world. And, and then we gain these enhancements or for quality of life and, and have a much more beautiful experience. Moderation is probably a much more suitable word to use in the terms of brahmachari. Um, yoga is not reserved for monks. And if you're trying to become a monk when it's not your nature, then it's it just leads to problems from suppression. And we've certainly uh, seen that in many uh, traditions, both East, both east and West. Uh, with you know uh, celibate priests uh, where where you kind of uh, suppress that that energy and it kind of leaks out sideways in, into other kinds of expression so the, the core idea is if you go for samadhi and it brings everything else along yeah the the uh, the verse 46 defines uh, asana the, the yogic postures that are you know, more commonly uh, equate with yoga. It defines asana as steady pleasantness. In other words, doing yoga asana should be a, uh, should produce happiness. If it's not, then correct, the technique isn't quite correct. And this is where, again, effortless comes in. It's so important not to be, this isn't about trying to go as far as you can in uh in a in a posture or stretch it's about relaxing into it and, and giving the body a bit of a flex so that it can more easily throw off um, the contractions and, and unresolved experiences it's carrying another interesting verse from this book is when non-theft is when non-theft is established all jewels rise up in other words when there's no impulse to thieve or or to uh grasp at uh, what others have then wealth rises naturally it comes naturally to you uh, another nice verse is from contentment unsurpassed happiness is obtained so the book itself goes into a little bit more detail on, on like non-theft and contentment or or other others of the um others of the limbs the third book is known as the cities. Um, the cities are essentially mean abilities or perfections. Some translate them as, as miracles or, or, uh, or uh, you know, some special supernormal abilities uh, often. 
But again, this text is from a higher age when humans had more capability. And uh, so they're a little more, more natural uh, in a higher age. But if we culture that samadhi and, and, uh, and heal the physiology, then these things become much more possible. And in fact, it's quite common for some of these to uh, arise spontaneously on the path as we're going along with our spiritual practice. So we'll see, you know, we'll start to remember past lives, for example, or, or we'll be able to, we'll, we'll be surprised to discover that we can understand what an animal is trying to communicate or uh, a different language when we're traveling in another country. We'll, we'll get a, a sense of what they're saying, even if we don't know the language itself. And, and in such a case like that, where they, they, the Vedic tradition talks about speech having layers. There's the, the, the surface speech, there's the mental impulse there's to, to speak, and there's, there's a quiet, um, the, the fine impulse before, there's a, a flow of, a flow towards speech, and then what's known as the para or transcendent value of the speech. And when, we, when we're able to function on those quieter levels, we're able to feel those impulses in consciousness and thus uh, can pick up the meaning behind uh, the language. And even if we don't understand the language itself, that's just the little mechanics of that one. Um, many of these verses could, could have a whole chapter written on them because there's a lot of material. The key with the third book to understand is what's called Samyama. Samyama is a word that combines the last three of the limbs in Ashtanga. So it's essentially being able to have a steady focus of attention, not concentrating, but just being able to, to focus with an intention while we're in Samadhi. So in other words, we're sitting there in quiet consciousness, we're able to have a thought and have a steady attention on it. If the mind is running off on thoughts, then Samyama isn't going to work. And, and these things are, they're, if you go to any spiritual bookstore, uh, you'll find multiple copies of, of various translations of the Yoga Sutra. Uh, it, it's widely understood. Some, everybody knows, you know, how to do all these abilities that are written in, in these books. But um, because people don't have that key with Samadhi, they're not able to do Samyama and they're not able to be effective with these, these uh, sutras from this book. So the, most of this book basically lists about uh, something like 50 different uh, formula or intentions and what the result will be, what's predicted the result. Uh, but it's also important to understand here the intention is not for a personal accomplishment. I mean, there are people who are fa famously uh, practiced a specific sutra for you know many many years and, and became an expert at, at the one thing. But that's not really the ideal way to to spend your life. If you develop instead from that level of yoga, you develop samadhi, then basically they all come along. Of course, it helps. Uh, different people will have different uh, energy channels that are that are open, and and other ones that are not so open. They'll have natural affinities with certain styles of things and, and so on. Um, but as the text itself in verse five says, through mastery of samyama, the splendor of complete wakefulness dawns. Um, so the the uh, the idea really of the third book is that by practicing these things with, with samadhi, 
by practicing Samyama, it helps open up the different channels of the energy physiology that underlies our physical body. The most famous of these, the sutras in this uh, book is yogic flying. Um, this is essentially the ability to, of human flight. This isn't exactly like Superman style. Uh, this more uh, like uh, uh, somebody sitting cross-legged who can fly around. Um, there are a number of, of documented examples in history from there's like Saint uh, uh, Joseph of Cupertino who was, who was a uh, Christian monk. And uh, there was uh, a Persian woman, um, I'm blanking on her name, who flew. Um, there's a Tibetan monk who flew. Um, and they, they have, uh, they've done a number of studies on this um, in a number of ways. Like one of the things they've done is EEG co coherence that I mentioned before. When somebody does the sutra, and there's a there's a response and the body tries to lift off even if it's not ready to fly yet and you have kind of they describe uh not in the yoga sutra but in some of their texts describe stages of flying and so the initial uh is an inner impulse and then the next stage is is you get a kind of a hopping effect where the body lifts off and and falls down again um and then uh then you kind of get to the point of floating and, and uh and then being able to fly at will but those are pretty advanced stages that aren't very common because most people in our current age has a lot, have a lot more uh, shadow in the physiology to clear. So it takes time. Um, there's a, another text from the tradition uh, known as the Yoga Vasishta. It comes from the Ramayana. The Ramayana is a story of a famous uh, person's life the, of King Rama from India. Uh, but in the Yoga Vasishta, it talks about group practice of yogic flying uh, for raising collective consciousness. So in other words, you take a group of people and put them together in a, in a space and have them practice yogic flying together. It raises uh, collective consciousness because it stirs consciousness awake within. Because you're essentially taking that consciousness within and adding an intention. So you're moving that silent consciousness and they've done a number of studies in various parts of the world on this uh, that suggests the square root of 1% of a, of a given population practicing together has an effect on the entire collective consciousness. So for example, the crime rate goes down, hospital admissions go down, accidents, car accidents, and so like that. It, it shifts the, the whole thing. And they've actually, they've actually done this where they've taken groups of yogic flyers and they've sent them into, into uh, war zones and stop wars by having the right number of people practicing together. But of course, maintaining a group of, of people like that doing spiritual practices in a war zone <clears throat> is not ideal. So they've usually just done uh, short-term uh, short-term experiments of that to demonstrate uh, what's possible. Another, uh, that's kind of out there, I know, but it's, but it's this stuff has been published in scientific journals. Um, and, and actually the, the, the challenge is that most people don't have, scientists included, don't have this kind of idea in their, doesn't fit their worldview. So <laughs> they uh, don't, don't, aren't really accepting of that. Um, verse uh, 55 is another nice one I liked from this uh, book. When, they, when the intellect becomes as pure as consciousness, enlightenment dawns. 
So book four, the last one, um, is called Kaivalya, which means singularity. And essentially it's talking about awakening itself. Um, in the current time though, um, enlightenment takes place when the self wakes up to itself through this body-mind. So in yoga, we're having those steps, we're going beyond the mind and experiencing our nature as consciousness deep within. As we repeatedly experience that, we prepare the ground for uh, a spiritual awakening. Uh, we don't, it doesn't, practices don't cause awakening, but they prepare the ground for it so that when grace happens, when the divine um, visits, so to speak, um, it can trigger uh, an opening or a shift spiritually. And by doing spiritual practices, we've created a physiology that can essentially support that shift so that it's not just a passing experience, it becomes uh, sustained. And, and it's also worth noting that you as a person don't become enlightened. We wake up from being a person, uh, from the limitations of being an identified ego. Uh, we don't, uh, the person doesn't go away. It's just we, we gain a, a different perspective of the person. We realize that we're actually consciousness within experiencing this person. It's kind of like sometimes we feel we can experience ourselves as being this body, that I, I am this body. And sometimes we experience ourselves as being the mind observing the body. And this is kind of like a stage further back where we're consciousness itself observing the mind and the body and the emotions and they're kind of happening. Um, but they're not who we are. They're just part of our functioning, including our person. And in the current time, it's at a much later stage when we recognize that it's the point value that woke up to its wholeness. So that Kaivalya that's described in, um, in uh, the Yoga Sutra. They've done uh, brain EEG coherent studies uh, along this as well, where that inner uh, effect in meditation of, of, of samadhi. They can notice where samadhi takes place in meditation because there's uh, that expansive coherence of the different parts of the brain. And uh, people who are uh, have been meditating for a little time can push a button too when they come out of this, because you kind of dip into samadhi and then you come back out again. And on the way out, you can kind of, you notice it and can push a button. So they've done these various uh, studies um, around that kind of thing. And the, the, and this closing verse of, of the fourth book, in the absence of activity, the gunas, uh, the purpose of Purusha is fulfilled. In other words, the purpose of, purpose of, of our soul essentially is fulfilled. And what remains is the singularity, the infinite power of consciousness established in its own nature. This is how Yoga Sutra defines a clear awakening, a clear spiritual self-realization. Um, other com common texts will call it things like Satchitananda, which means absolute bliss consciousness. Because when we're established in that infinite absolute consciousness, the lively surface of, the, of that consciousness, we experience in the body-mind as happiness or bliss. And that becomes an ongoing, an ongoing process. Now, uh, from my perspective, um, 
this is the first stage of seven stage, stages of enlightenment. Um, and that's kind of the topic of my book that, uh, that Andrew mentioned. So that this, is, this is primarily about this stage and the, what, the reason why there's multiple systems of philosophy in, in uh, India is because different philosophies are designed for different stages. Vedanta, is, for example, is, is designed to explore uh, later stages. And if you, if you find the, the, the broader topic of uh, Eastern spirituality and its influence on the West interesting, there's a book uh, by Goldberg called American Data that uh, explores the major proponents uh, of, from, who came from India to the West and speak, uh, spoke over the last uh, 100 years roughly and, um, and how that's influenced Western thinking. Like in a, in a uh, Christian uh, approach, the priest is seen as the liaison with, with the divine. Uh, there, there are, we, we go to them to speak to God. Uh, whereas in an Eastern perspective, through techniques like I'm describing, we can gain a direct access to the divine. And so uh, there, there, we don't need an intermediary. Uh, and and the, the idea of evolution and, and growth of consciousness like this is also another uh, Another idea that's come to us from, from Eastern philosophy.